Hi guys, welcome to a new episode of Marketing Home, Marketing You. I'm Barbara Savona and I'm so excited to be here with you today. Let me ask you guys, do you ever feel stressed? I know I do from time to time and I know for our teams, especially those on the front line, 2020 has been challenging. You know, not only are you dealing with all the things with your own family and all the changes that have happened, but you've got hundreds of families in your communities changing policies, owner demands, you're still trying to meet budget goals, and it's a lot. So when I was thinking about this episode, I was really excited because I know so many of you that are stressed are looking for ways to ease some of that stress. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Dr. Nadia Benning is a psychiatrist and certified brain health coach, and how many of us don't want a healthy brain? She's also a wife and a mom to three boys, so she knows how, you know, she knows the demands of of having a busy and full life. She specializes in curating the most effective treatments to optimize brain health, and she helps people to enjoy a full, active, and energized lifestyle. She has over a decade of experience in the traditional psychiatric clinical setting, and she was the medical director at a drug and alcohol rehab for the past three years. Okay, but Dr. Nadia recently opened Retreat, an innovative boutique and private practice in Burnett, Texas. She has a special interest in dietary intervention and the latest biohacks for a life of happiness and longevity. She received her medical degree at UT Health Science Center in San Antonio, followed by her psychiatric residency training at UT South UT Southwestern programs in Austin, Texas. It is Dr. Nadia's hope that people experience a feeling of empowerment when in her care and are equipped to take charge of their well-being, having confidence that they uh, possess the ability and tools to create brain-healthy habits for life. Okay, let me tell you a little extra bonus about Dr. Nadia. We were high school friends. So Nadia and I, before she was a doctor, were friends through middle school and high school, and we kind of lost touch over the years, but recently reconnected on social media. I've always loved Nadia's approach. Even in high school, she had just a very logical but approachable approach, if you would say. And when I had this conversation and we went through what stress does to the body and how you can really effectively cope and manage it, it was different than a lot of the things I've heard. And even some of the things that were similar were a lot more relatable. They feel doable when Dr. Nadia talks about him. So I'd love to have you sit in on this conversation with my friend, Dr. Nadia Benning. I think you guys are going to love it. Let's check it out. Welcome to the Marketing Home, Marketing You podcast, a show for busy multifamily and real estate professionals that want to kick butt in their careers without sacrificing their lives or their sanity. Week after week, Barbara Savona of Sprout Marketing brings you quality conversations with industry leaders, mini marketing workshops, and step-by-step guides on everything marketing, business, and career growth. So grab a cup of coffee and get ready for some outside-the-box ideas from the girl that lives inside the shipping container box. to have you here today on the podcast. I know that our listeners are going to love and benefit from this information. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you, Barbara. Once again, reunited. I know. (laughs) It feels so good. You know, when we, when I reached out to you, I shared with you that even though in multifamily, um, it's both male and female, we are definitely dominated by females. We have a lot of women in our industry and I know some of the information you're going to uh, share applies to both men and women, but specifically a lot of it is going to talk to the women of our audience. And so I think they're going to really, 
you know, love this. And when we sat down to decide on a topic, we talked a lot about managing stress. And I think that stress gets thrown around. Everybody feels stressed. We hear, I mean, we hear so many different conflicting advice on stress, but I'd love to start with talking about how stress actually impacts our body. Maybe a little bit of the science behind what stress does to us. Yeah, totally. I think too, I agree. I think stress gets put out there and it's like, you know, oh, it's bad for you and these vague ideas of why stress isn't good. But sometimes that's not motivating enough. And I think when you look at the science and look at things at the molecular and cellular level and what stress actually does, that gives you more of a why to manage it and to accept responsibility of it and to change it um, or accept it or whatever you need to do with it. Um, so, it, I mean, from a, from a biological standpoint, stress affects us in many, many different ways. I'm going to kind of hit on four different little mechanisms of ways that's affecting our cellular um, composition and how it can lead to other more obvious problematic medical illnesses down the road. Um, so, number one is that stress damages our mitochondria. And mitochondria are the little powerhouses of our cells. And some people have, you know, heard a lot of the newer research being done in that, and some people haven't. Um, but it's what really helps us have energy and um, proper detoxification in the body. Um, so when we get stressed, we get that fight or flight response. And some people say fight, flight, or freeze, because some people freeze. Um, but when we get that response, um, it damages the mitochondria, particularly in the uh, hippocampus of the brain and in the cortex. And the, hippocampus, the hippocampus is a little place in the brain, and it's really involved in memory, learning, emotion. Um, and then the cortex is all that cortical matter on the outside of the brain, and it does, like, everything. <laughs> Sensory and motor and... Um, you know, connecting the two halves of the brain and really our brain is controlling everything we do. So, I mean, this is really affecting the brain and the cells in the brain. And then when the mitochondria in the cells are damaged, they'll kind of open up in the cell. So the cell gets flooded with the, this, you know, matter that was in the mitochondria. And then it eventually seeps out of the cell and into our bloodstream. And once it's in the bloodstream, it acts all this... Um, cellular debris acts kind of like a hormone and it will um, cause a lot of different reactions in the body like it increases the glucose levels the blood sugar levels that we have it causes insulin resistance which is something that leads to prediabetes and diabetes um, it causes inflammation in the body it can cause hypertension um, cardiovascular issues so again it's from these little molecular changes that happen that we see a lot of these chronic diseases progressing and stress directly contributes to it. So that's one mechanism of action where stress is like tearing up our bodies, so to speak. Um, next is that it creates myelin producing cells in the brain. So myelin is typically good. It's the sheath that forms on the axon of the brain cell. It helps brain cells communicate with each other and send electrical impulses and, um, helps us you know, think faster, create memories, all that sort of stuff, but in balance. And so when the stress response causes increase in the cells that produce the myelin, we get an imbalance of white matter, which is like the myelin, and gray matter in the brain. And so this imbalance makes people vulnerable to like mental health issues, like mood disorders and anxiety disorders. 
So that's kind of where it's acting um, in the brain, and we see a lot more issues with depression, anxiety coming because of chronic stress. Um, it alters our DNA. It actually, uh, <laughs> yeah, so again, the same response alters genetic material in the nuclei of the cells as well. And what's interesting is that it, it, it changes the genetic expression of the fat manufacturing genes. So we've always heard that like stress causes, I mean, it causes increased cortisol also, which can lead to insulin resistance and blood sugar problems and weight gain and all that. But it actually turns on genes that are fat, manu fat manufacturing as well. So mm, double whammy. Um, and then there are these, these things called telomeres. Have you heard of telomeres before? No, what is it? Tell me. A telomere, the telomeres are these like protective caps on the end of our chromosomes. So they protect the chromosomes. But there are multiple things that shorten telomeres. And one of the primary things is chronic stress. And so the breakdown of the telomeres leads to um, just all of the aging processes. So again, it's like we're talking about hypertension, diabetes, arthritis, um, and it just decreases longevity in general so there are and that's like four of probably 25 30 <laughs> different things that stress does to the body on a cellular level and how it contributes to like all these other chronic conditions you know that people unfortunately frequently you know suffer with as we get older it's really incredible to hear you talk through that because i think when people when people are stressed and then they feel all these other symptoms and sometimes maybe they're they're thinking that they're isolated or they're separate like you mentioned brain fog where they forget their there's memory they're you know uh, forgetting things or where they feel like they're putting on extra weight do you find that a lot of times people don't compute and put all those things together that hey stress is actually doing all of these things to me oh for sure and myself included you know it's like Oh, you think, you know, it, it's just, they almost seem so far apart, you know, and that this general stress could contribute to these molecular processes is, it's hard to fathom. And unless it's kind of like right in the forefront of your mind, and it's a lot of people don't even know about it. And so it's like when you don't even know it, you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> so um, that's a huge part of it too. But I think now that people know, I mean, I remember the first time I like really did like, start learning about these things. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's why it's important, you know? And we'll talk about this later too, but same with like exercise and mindfulness and diet. I feel like those things too, they're kind of like the cure-alls for a lot of things because they affect our body in these tiny cellular molecular ways to produce the changes. But we don't talk about all those molecular changes. We just talk about, oh, you're gonna feel better if you exercise, you know, Blah, period. <laughs> so, it's good to know, it's good to, I think, know the details of these things for the motivation to actually do them. No, I'm really glad that we started with that because I feel like sometimes stress now gets put into this place where so many people are talking about it and it feels like we're getting fed so much different information, but starting with how it's really affecting our bodies and how maybe sometimes we feel like we're on this perpetual treadmill but it could be as simple as really isolating that stress. So I have to say, Dr. Nadia, I'm so excited to talk about the details because I know you're coming with, uh, you know, coming to our audience with some very tangible ways that they can manage that. But before we jump into those, will you share a little bit about what you do at your practice? 
Sure. Um, so I'm a I'm a psychiatrist. I um I've done clinical practice for since 2012 when I finished my residency in Austin. Um, and you can call me Nadia. But. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I just want to make sure that you know my friend's a doctor. I need to make sure everybody knows it. <laughs> so, but I'll call you Nadia from here on. Yeah. So yeah, I finished residency. I did clinical practice, and I, I've been doing. I mean, that's what I'm. I'm still doing that, but I've kind of made some new additions to the practice in the past year. Um, and then I also was medical director at a drug and alcohol rehab center for the past three years. I only recently resigned because the commute got to be too much and I had to manage my stress. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I loved working at the, the drug and alcohol rehab. It was an amazingly rewarding um, place to work and people I got to help. So that was phenomenal. I'll say though that working there did and I felt this way in clinical, you know, in the, since 2012 as well, practicing medicine. And there were just, you know, there's a lot of things that we diagnose and prescribe that, you know, a lot of times I don't see them working. I don't, you know, I think, you know, we talk about depression and anxiety and, you know, other even more, you know, serious mental illness on the rise, yet we've got more medications than ever. And it's just not adding up to me, you know. So I think there are a lot of other factors that go into um, a lot of the mental health diagnoses. That being said, I also think a lot of things are overdiagnosed, and there's a lot of normal human emotion that needs to be expressed and dealt with. And I think that if we can, as providers, better support people through those episodes that are maybe not as severe as, as um, other more severe mental illness, then uh, I think the longer-term effects are going to be better for um, the client or patient as opposed to kind of starting them on a medication and then putting another one on and then, you know, doing this whole, some of those people are stuck on medications forever. And that's just very often unnecessary. So, and that being said, and this goes back to my whole love of like the molecular science is really at the bottom of a lot of these mental health disorders. And it's cellular, it goes back to the cells. It goes back to the, the physiology in the body. And so sometimes these exogenous substances aren't really, for most of the time, they're not really addressing the root cause. So, you know, inflammation is a big uh, correlate, has a big correlation with depression and anxiety and chronic stress has to do with inflammation and therefore this and that. So I think there are a lot of other ways to target symptoms that people are having by addressing really the root causes and being able to provide supplementation, um, more testing of hormonal imbalance, thyroid disorders, um, other things that mask as psychiatric um, diagnoses and symptoms. Um, and so in my new practice that I've recently opened, um, I have brought in a lot more of those sorts of treatments and options for people um, to help support them through some of the you know hardships of life without kind of getting them stuck on the medication wheel for the rest of their life. And then I've also got different um, tools. I've got homeopathy. I've got out-of-the-box stuff like auricular therapy, which is sort of like acupun acupuncture. Um, so different mechanisms of action to treat um, you know issues, so to speak. And so it's fun. It brings in a lot of, it brings in, I think, a lot of um, empowerment for people to walk out of here with like seven different tools for depressive symptoms as opposed to like one bottle of Prozac, you know? And if they need the Prozac, they can take the Prozac too. But then like seven other things can really help you. So that's kind of been my intention um, with this. 
Well, I think that's why when I've you know been following the way that you have started to set up this new venture, this boutique type of a, of a practice, is it would it be fair to call it a boutique type style? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, technically, it is a boutique <laughs> and a private practice. Well, what but I then some people call boutique medicine like concierge medicine. So I mean, it's technically a brain health boutique, and then I have private appointments. So okay. What I love though about what you said, I kind of want to circle back there is that you know while medication serves its purpose i think a lot of people when it comes to their their health their mental health their physical health they don't leave their doctor's office feeling empowered they don't feel like they have a lot of time first of all to talk to somebody they don't feel like you know i think of all of us as individuals our unique experiences probably make up a lot of the things that we're walking into and so i love that your approach is holistic in the sense that it's looking at the individual as a whole, not just as a what can we prescribe that you'll be on forever and ever and ever and ever. So what what I want to dive into, and, I, and I'm excited that you're going to share these, is what would you say for, you know, we have a lot of busy property managers. They are juggling, you know, uh, communities that have two to 300 residents, families living there. So they're dealing with, they're taking on their challenges. They're also mothers and fathers. Many of them are homeschooling their kids right now. They have an owner and a supervisor they answer to. And so when we say that a lot of these, you know, are, are stressed people, what can we talk about in a practical way where they could kind of start implementing some of these things and maybe see a difference fairly quickly? Yeah, for sure. I think there, well, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of cover lots of different things from mindset things we can do, which are huge and key, as well as the physical, again, getting back to like the biochemical um, effects of how to um, manage stress. Okay. Um, the, the very first thing, though, in order to tackle any issue is identification of the problem, right? So identifying what stressors are or what your what individual stressors are, obviously. Okay. Um, and it can be, and that, that, Kind of seems pretty straightforward, but sometimes it's not because, for example, someone can can think, "Oh, it's work. Like work is stressful, right? These deadlines are stressful. Let's say that a deadline is stressful. Okay, it could be that the deadline is stressful, or it could be that the person procrastinates, and that's what makes the deadline stressful, right? So it's really taking accountability and a look at like. Okay, what's in your control? What's out of your control? What's contributing to the stress? Um, and accepting responsibility for it, you know? Um, and so a lot of, like, one of the easiest ways to do that is, is starting a stress journal, you know? And maybe it's you do it for a week and, you, you know, you're aware of your most stressful situations and you start journaling, you know, what was the stressor? How did you feel when it happened? How did you respond to it? And then what'd you do to make yourself feel better? So that's like one formula for just like beginning to manage your stress. Put it on pen and paper, identify what it is, and take responsibility for what your parts are maybe in the um, grand scheme of the stressor. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes so much sense. A, a couple of years back, I identified for me, I have a very client-facing job, but when I put appointments back-to-back -back conversations and there's no kind of refuel time in between, that became a huge trigger. I would look at my calendar and I would immediately feel stressed. And so I just started blocking in, you know, 30 minutes in between my meetings when I could, when I couldn't, you know, when it didn't make sense. And I just found doing that 
plus having a day where there's nothing on my calendar. To me, that's the biggest luxury. So for that makes that makes complete sense. So would you just would you want someone to actually isolate, like get really deep on, okay, like you said, it may not be what you think it is. It might be a behavior that led to that feeling. Yes. Yeah. Because that's key. Because again, it's going to, that's the only way to kind of problem solve it is like really figuring out what the problem is. So, and people need to just be on, honest with themselves. And it's not a, you know, it's not a shaming or a, you know, oh, I'm, such a bad person because I do this. No, it's like if you want to change it and you want healthy mitochondria and long telomeres, then like just accept it and, you know, let's then work on it, you know. So that's something that's the simplest way to identify accept responsibility. And then the next step of that is intentionality. Intentionality is so important with, it, with anything, you know, just like because we can lose ourselves so easily, obviously, in work or relationships or kids or sports or whatever the heck it is, right? So, I mean, being intentionally putting into practice ways to manage your stress is going to be like the only way to really tackle it too. So that's kind of the third step. Okay. Yeah. How do people, and then, how would you say, like, they, they just need to kind of go into it knowing what they're going to accept or do or what, what, how, can you elaborate on that a little? Intentionality to me is like just making a daily decision, you know, I think when, when people come to the point of change, it's because the pain has gotten too high, right? Like when the stress is just overwhelming, the pain is too much. Okay, time to hit the reset button. And intentionally, every day, we need to just keep putting it in our mind of like, okay, this is a priority for me. This is, I'm going to work on this. But it's that, it's almost so simple that it's silly. But it's making that decision and making it a priority to work on it. That okay. makes sense. That makes so much sense because I think we throw around things like self-care and I know we're going to talk about specifically some, but I love the idea of intentionality being a form of self-care, just starting your day by saying, Hey, yesterday, these are the things that triggered me today is going to be like this. This is how I'm going to tackle this day. Right. Right. Okay. And a lot of times it's like a lot of people's stress is like the usual stuff, right? It's like the time management things and the, kids screaming and preparing dinner and the difficult relationships at work or customer service, you know, like it's, it's, right. it's difficult stuff. But again, narrowing that down to kind of be able to then problem solve it is going to be huge. So, okay. so what's next? There's, there's a great formula. Like, oh, I love formulas and it's easy to remember. Okay. Let's, there are four A's and remember you want to get an A plus in this. Four A's of stress management. And so the first A is avoid. The second is alter. The third is adapt. And the fourth is accept. And so we're going to kind of go into a little bit more detail of each of these A's. But write them down. Avoid, alter, accept, adapt. Um, you don't need to, Barbara. Or maybe you do. No, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> so when we talk about avoidance of something in order to manage stress we're talking about being able to say no and I know that's really hard for a lot of women we really multitask we want to get stuff done we want to perform we want to be well liked like we want to be freaking you know a plus students so to speak we want to do it but, all we want to do it all right yeah yep yep and it's it's okay you know again this is not no shaming or anything like that um but we can't do it all. 
or or we can't do it all perfectly, right? Like I think that we can do a lot. We can do a lot, but there are some of the things that get in the way of that. Um, you know, so anyway, back to avoiding. So saying no to things that you don't want to do. And this also includes when we talk about stressors, you know, things that there are a lot of different words for stress, right? I mean, it's like you can also just kind of pinpoint what stress is on a certain day. Sometimes it's frustration. Sometimes it's anger. Sometimes it's agitation. Sometimes it's irritability or sadness, right? So in, in that context, you know, if you're watching something on TV that's stressing you out, you have the power to say no and to turn it off. That is in your control. Um even when people say, oh, it's all over the news, it's everywhere, you can turn it off. You can go outside, you can do something else. You don't have to listen to it. Listening to it is not necessarily changing anything except shortening your telomeres. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, things, other things, you know, and this, you know, maybe applicable for some people and not other people. I know everybody's got different situations, different number of kids, different number of jobs, a certain amount of help from outsiders, you know, but things like, Grocery shopping, if going to the grocery shopping is getting just, if it's just not good for you that week and you want to order your groceries online, just do it. Spend the extra, you know, $10 on the fee for, what what is it, Instacart or whatever it is, right? Like little things like that where you can avoid something that's just going to make you feel bad, do it. Cleaning the house, if you have the extra cash to get somebody to come scrub the floors every other week, right? Like you can do it and it's going to help you. Why not? Why not? Um, you know, and if, and if your floors are going to be a little messy because it's every other week, then may, then maybe we're, that's going to be adapting <laughs> um, to, you know, those sorts of changes. I think social um, media can be that for a lot of people. Um, I even find myself like something I love is Pinterest, but all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're looking and then you're like, are my meals not good enough? Is my house not decorated enough? And I like what you said, if it's something, whether it's the news or it's social media, but paying attention to the feelings it inspires in you seems to be, then you can say, I didn't like how I felt last time. Why would I go down that rabbit hole again? Yeah, exactly. No, I agree. The other thing is like, sometimes people are stressful, you know, and sometimes meeting somebody out for dinner or lunch and you walk away with just like a feeling, you know, where people start stressing you out, you can start kind of backing out of those sorts of situations too. People change, things change, you know, sometimes who used to be a best friend for, not best friend, good friend, whatever, for 10 years, you know, things change and it's okay to kind of start backing out and avoiding that a little bit if they're stressful. You know, I think good friends don't cause you stress. That makes so much sense. Yeah. And I think like you said, it's like now that we know what it's doing on a cellular level, what it's really doing to us, it's like, can you afford to keep some of those negative relationships in your life? Is it really worth it? It probably isn't. Right. Right. The other big thing when it comes to avoiding is um, people's to-do lists, you know, and, and that's, May, probably has changed somewhat due to the current, you know, climate, but um, some people's to-do list probably got bigger and some people's to-do list probably got smaller. Depends. But really looking at the to-do list and saying, what do I really need to do and what do I not, or what can I delegate um, is, is going to be useful for managing stress. 
Very good. Okay, so what's next in our formula? Next is alter. Okay. Um, so there are situations where that you can't avoid, right? Um, or you don't want to avoid. Sometimes you choose not to avoid something. You're just like, I'm not going to. It's my bottom line. I'm not going to avoid that friend. I got to alter it, right? So, and that's totally in your control. Um, altering comes down to, as much as this is a good one, like the example is like in relationships, you know, like we alter things. And so um, expressing feelings and being assertive, sometimes people are really passive in relationships and then the other person kind of can be more domineering and you feel like you get, you get resentful of the other person and that causes stress. And this is very frequent, I think, in relationships. So I think being expressing your feelings, being as assertive as possible um, is going to be helpful. And then also compromising, kind of on the other hand. You're expecting them to <laughs> do something, and then you yourself have to take responsibility and compromise on certain things. So that kind of goes into altering. Um, I think that's another really good for the property managers because there's certain scenarios that they won't be able to avoid. You have, you know, that resident that is your constant complainer and you may not be able to avoid them, but you can alter maybe the way that you interact with them or you can almost have a like a visualization. Every time they come in, I'm gonna do X, Y, Z to just alter, even if it's just your perception of that person. No, exactly. We did that in our team uh, when you know everything started with the coronavirus. We have awesome clients, but the emails just started getting a little bit shorter. People just had less patience and it was kind of getting to our customer service team. So what we did to alter that is we started reading some of those emails, like kind of like mean tweets, like Jimmy Fallon style, just, you know, to provide a lightheartedness. And it was like, it just changed the whole, it didn't change what they were sending us. It just changed how we were receiving it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And the other thing is too, and I've dealt with this in my practice before, um, is scheduling things appropriately. And that can go into altering is altering your time management, right? And, and boundaries up front, um, stating things up front, because it can be hard to state the boundaries when you've been doing it a certain way for a year. And then you're like, wait a minute, like, I have no boundaries. I should have said it at the beginning so that I don't sound like I'm mean right now, or <laughs> I don't want to come across as you know, being really stern or whatever. Um, so that's a, another way I think of altering things is to, you know, set your schedule and you like how you altered your schedule um, for work. And I had run into the same thing. When I was seeing clients, I would do back to back to back to back. I don't even break for lunch. Now I do, but I didn't, you know, and it was just back to back to back seeing people. And yeah, it got to where I didn't enjoy it anymore and it was stressful. And so just kind of putting those breaks in is makes it all, it makes it, so much better. So, and then setting boundaries up front too with customers. I think the same for, you know, a lot of your clientele with in the customer service department, you know, is um, you know, kind of having, having boundaries and sticking to them from the get go, essentially, you know, we return calls from here to here, you know, we'll answer emails during, which you probably may have that already automated in the system, but there might be some other things to all alter, you know, or for certain individuals who are responding to certain things that they can alter kind of in their communication with people. Yeah, I think for our property managers, that can be twofold. So one, I think on move-in day, you set the expectation with residents. This is how you communicate during business hours. If it's an emergency, this is how you get a hold of us. That way you're right away letting them know what's appropriate communication and what isn't. 
And then the second piece I would say to that is a lot of times property managers, they feel that they, they cannot set a boundary with their supervisor. So they're answering emails at all hours of the night. And I find that when I set those expectations kind of early to say, hey, I want to be really good at my job during working hours. But for me to do that, I have to have that downtime at home. It usually limits the number of times you have to respond after hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Okay, so next what's, is, what's next? Next is adapt. So, and I think I heard somewhere that adaptation is like one of the best traits to have. And I can, I can see why. Because like if you can't roll with the punches and changes, then life's going to be harder. Um, but yeah, so adapting is when you're in that situation, you've got the stress, and, you know, being able to, this is more like a mindset thing, you know, as opposed to an actionable thing, like avoid and alter. So adapting is more mindset. Like how can you reframe the problem? How can you look at it in a different way? So say you're like on the way home and you're in a traffic jam. I used to do this actually. This is how impatient I am. <laughs> when I was filling up my big water bottle in the dispenser, the refrigerator, this is silly. But it took like, you know, like 30 seconds, you know, which is not that long. But I was like, oh, I'm sitting here like doing nothing. So I would use it as a chance to like practice six deep breaths. <laughs> so that's something like that, that just is a little aggravation to you. Think of something else to do maybe during that time or a way to reframe it to make it useful, you know, use it to empower you in some way. Um, and so that's learning to adapt to kind of a negative stressful situation perspective is huge. And I feel like perspective and looking at the big picture is huge for like anything. When we talk about just living life. <laughs> um, because, you know, asking yourself, is this really going to matter in the long run? Is this really going to matter a year from now, five years from now? Like, what is this really affecting? That's going to help reframe a stressful situation or help you to choose another way to cope with it as opposed to keep ruminating on it and get stressed about it, right? I think that one is so good and probably the hardest to implement. So some of the others, you know, they feel very tangible, actionable. You feel like, okay, I can rearrange. But this one is like very internal. And I think that, but it's probably one of the most impactful because to me, if you learn this, um, this tool in a sense, if you learn to do that, it doesn't matter what scenario you're put in, you can make the best out of it no matter what, because that's inside of you. So I feel, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's very underrated. Yeah. Yeah. I was reading a book several years ago, one of the happiness books, I don't know, but one of the, one of the chapters was talking about, and I feel like I had done it for a long time anyway, but I just like that it was kind of articulated that way and it talked about um you know how a lot of people compare themselves to others right and we're always a lot of times we're comparing up you know oh i'm not doing what this person's doing or i'm not performing that well or i'm you know it's just more negative because you're looking at somebody that's you know for whatever reason you know jamming out like in whatever they're doing but there's an alternative comparison called down comparison which is where it's like well i'm not living on a dirt floor in Nicaragua, you know, or I'm not any pick anything worse than your own situation, right? Because you will always find something. Um, and so that helps bring perspective to 
for me and to like see the big picture. I'm like, oh, it could be, I am blessed. It could be way worse than this. So just that's part of helping to reframe. Yeah, that I, I, I recently read a book too. It was talking about how now the comparison game has changed so much because we used to compare ourselves. We might have read the same book, but we compared ourselves to the Joneses, you know, the people next door that were in a similar income bracket, a similar, you know, now we're comparing ourselves. They use the example of the Kardashians. That might not be, you know, who we do, but we're comparing ourselves to celebrities with millions and millions and millions of dollars, putting ourselves up to that same standard. Like I should look like that. I should have that. And it just said how that is such a thief of joy because it's not even, it's not even in the same realm of attainability. So it's, it's such a, a, a negative thing we do to ourselves. Totally. It's like a moot point. It just gives you like stress. <laughs> it just bothers you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay. So what's you, next? You said um, the same, like, you know, the standards is a, is a big thing. And actually like that is another huge thing it, within at adapting is, kind of resetting your standards and your expectations. Okay. And that, I think, I think that's a challenging, or it is for me. I mean, cause I'm like, I just want people to do it the way I would do it. <laughs> I don't think I even do it perfectly, but I do it okay. And I just kind of want you to like, you know, do it okay, but do it. Yeah. <laughs> but that is something where it's like, you know, help having us adjust our expectations so that we're not constantly disappointed about, you know, what other people are doing or not doing. Um, that, that's another kind of thing within adaptation. And then the last thing in there is practicing gratitude. And that kind of goes along with a lot of the other things we talked about, you know, like write down the things that you are grateful for, that you've been blessed with three things a day. I mean, just it, gratitude journals can change people's lives big time. Um, and so that's one way to, kind of help you adapt to a situation. And it can also help with, like the next A is accept. Again, so it's like when you can't do anything else, you really have to accept it. And I think you know, the, the traits of adapting and accepting, some of them are interchangeable and work together. Um, like practicing gratitude is, is one form of acceptance for sure. Realizing, ultimately when it comes to like a lot of this stressed up and problems in general, it's realizing what's in your control and what's not in your control and focusing on what's in your control. If you're focusing on what's out of your control, you're just going to spin your wheels for like nothing. And sometimes that's where, again, like a stress journal comes in handy is to get it on pen and paper and really, and you might even have to kind of do some more, um, you know, critical thinking around what's in your control, what's not in your control realistically. Because somebody could say, well, it's really in my control. Well, no, it's really not in your control. You know, or right. check in with a few friends. Is this in my, do you think this is in someone's control or do you think it's not? Because that might help kind of get a better grasp of like what's in your control, what's not in your control. Um, yeah, I'm excited to share with everybody because I, I know you have this, um, you have a great stress journal, right? A journal for people to document kind of their stress triggers and also their gratitude journal. So I'm going to link it in the blog that everybody can look at it. But I love that that's part of almost the toolkit because it's not complicated, but it will take a little bit of effort. It'll take part of adapting it to your routine. But if we can start to, you know, I think with our listeners, they're used to identifying kind of hiccups in a system. And yet we don't approach ourselves that way, you know? And I, what I like about the stress journal is it's almost like we find the hiccup in the system and then the gratitude journal helps us remind ourselves, hey, where am I getting that really good 
return on my investment? What are some of those things that I'm actually like coming down to the bottom line that are good? And I think the combo of the two is really powerful. Uh-huh. Yep, totally. They, um, you know, looking for the, the silver lining, right, in anything. And that's, again, it's a mindset thing. And some people are kind of naturally gifted at that. Sometimes you're raised with parents that that was kind of what they modeled for you or a mentor or somebody growing up. But for other people, it's more difficult, you know, to really be able to see a silver lining or see any positive that, you know, came out of a situation. A lot of times someone's, you know, faith plays a, an important role in that too, you know, believing that there's some purpose and we might not know what the purpose is, right? But like God had a purpose for it and that's, that's got to be enough sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and people who I think when you're able to kind of decide for yourself or just say, like, I think a good mantra is, what opportunity for personal growth does this challenge give me? You know, like that's not, that's all you can do. What opportunity for personal growth does this challenge give me? Um, that's not that's hard to do in the moment when you're really stressed and pissed off or frustrated or whatever. But later on that night when you simmer down and you're kind of going through things and maybe you're doing your gratitude journal, you know, and putting the thing in there for the day. It, that will come to you. But I think practicing that as well, you know, what opportunities do you have in, in challenges? Because I think that's what builds our character is is challenges. You know, anybody can do whatever when it's easy, but when the going gets tough, I think that really kind of shows who you are. So practicing being somebody of strong character is going to be, is sometimes enough in itself, you know, to be able to accept something. Well, and you use the word opportunity. I think that's such a good um, good word there because it's like when everything is going good, we don't usually see our flaws during those times. So the opportunity, like you said, is there's some things that are kind of bubbling up that you don't get to see all the time. Now they've bubbled up and they're giving you the opportunity to decide, hey, is that the kind of person I want to be? Is that how I want to tackle when things get tough? So in a sense, we don't, we don't love the challenge, but it is a blessing in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So um, is, I want to pop quiz myself. So first is avoid, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. When we can't avoid, we alter. Mm-hmm. Then well, we you can do multiple things at once. Okay. Okay. So they don't have to be exclusive of each other. We can also then adapt to certain scenarios. And then there are the times that just we accept them and we find that acceptance. Is that right? Yes. You got it. I love it. Yeah. And there are going to be a lot of situations, you know, like some of these big stressful situations where you're pulling tools from each of those categories. There are parts of things, parts of a situation that you got to accept, parts of it that you can alter, parts, you know. So I just like the more tools, the better. Draw whatever the heck you can to make yourself feel better and to be more at peace. You know, I think I think God wants us to be at peace. (laughs) So do what you can. Absolutely. So I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to talk through a scenario. We've got a property manager that is maybe having inspections happening that week. They're having um, owner visits. They're also having unhappy residents at the same time. They're trying to get their occupancy up. Looking at that, to me, it would seem like that's not the week that you're going to want to add on a bunch of things in your personal life. You're not going to put on top of yourself that you're going to be super mom and make, you know, five meals from scratch that week. You're um, going to accept that maybe the house is going to be a little bit messier that week because you've got a lot of different things pressing on you. Am, am I kind of getting it? Is that, would you say that's the way that you kind of draw from things? 
Totally. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're going to go into like also just the diet, the basics of self-care, like diet, sleep and exercise and fun that are also going to contribute to just you staying grounded and mentally sharp and clear so that you're also not stressed out from those things. Although I will say, whoever's making five scratch meals a week, even on a good week, I'm not going to compare myself to you. No, you're you're the Kardashian of a housewife. We can't we can't compare ourselves to you. <laughs> okay, so you you said the perfect segue. I think diet, exercise, sleep, fun, those again, we hear about them a lot, but can we talk about how important they are and how to practically make them a priority? Yes. For sure, because I think that those things, and we'll kind of go with like the sleep exercise diet, back to basics, back to basics of like what our body needs and what our mind needs for proper fuel and functioning um, is huge. And those need to be kind of the chronic um, stress management tools, chronically, you know, act, having activity, chronically sleeping well. Okay. Chronically usually has a bad, bad connotation, but I'm saying it in a good way. Chronically, <laughs> long-term eating a healthy diet, taking care of your body and sleeping, right? So those things just are the set the standard or the, the basic for um, managing stress in general. And then all the A's that we just talked about are the actual things you can do in the moment, in the scenario, you know, to help ease the, the stress at the time. But yeah, so things like we talk about um, exercise, and again, it's like one of those things that's like, Ugh, of course, if you exercise, like, you're going to feel better, you know, but, but that's not enough why for probably the majority of the population, right? I don't think everybody's exercising four to five days a week for 30 minutes at least, but if you are, awesome. Um, and that would be, you know, something to strive for, for sure. Um but when we exercise, so we've got all these, you know, your feel-good chemicals are like serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, right? Those are kind of the ones indicated and implicated in depression, anxiety, that kind of thing. And they kind of float around different levels depending on different things. But when you're exercising, it does, it does boost norepinephrine and dopamine, which I think everybody's probably, like, heard that before. Again, not enough why, I don't think. But the serotonin, this is interesting, and I did not learn this in medical school. I learned this, like way after medical school, which is a lot of the stuff I learned was like way after medical school, just so we're clear. As far as <laughs> but serotonin is a very, has a lot of competition getting through the blood brain barrier with other nutrients and amino acids in the body. And when we exercise, because our muscles, you know, they need more, um, energy, obviously, the, the other molecules get converted or transported from the brain out to the muscles, and serotonin is actually able to cross the blood-brain barrier when you're exercising. So that's just like an additional layer of like the molecular impact, right, of exercise on feeling good. Because you can have all the serotonin floating around, doesn't matter, unless it crosses the blood-brain barrier. So, you know, I and, and when I learned that, and then every time I was exercising, I was like, oh, serotonin is actually crossing the blood brain barrier right now. Like, it makes a difference. <laughs> okay, that is going to be our takeaway. When we exercise, we are all going to be like, yay, you're making it cross the blood brain barrier. That's like, that, I think that's a good motivator for real. <laughs> yeah, and you can like visualize it. And it's like, oh, yeah, it's happening scientifically. It's really cool. <laughs> so that's like one. And again, I think there, there's like, five to ten different, sorry, my screen keeps going, 
there's like five to ten different mechanisms of action for why exercise is healthy. That's just one of them, you know. So, um, but exercise decreases cortisol, um, and there's like so many positive side effects, obviously, from exercise. But it is the biggest. Well, I can't say it's the biggest because sleep is. Sleep and diet, I don't know. They're all equal. They're all pretty darn necessary people. Yeah. <laughs> so, but exercise is huge. So I guess for somebody that's saying, I'm already so time starved, what, how would you get somebody incorporating exercise into their day to day? Okay. So honestly, I'd say like when you get out of bed, drop and give me 10 push-ups, and that's it, you know, 10 push-ups. And if you can do more, which they probably could do more, right? Like in five, you can do probably 50 crunches as well or something, you know, something, some weight bearing exercise in the morning before you jump in the shower or you probably, if you don't shower, it doesn't matter. You're not going to sweat from that. Right. But you are going to feel tighter and you're going to feel better. Just 10 push-ups, You will feel tighter. You will feel better. You will have an energy um, spike and, um, and that's, and bravo. And then like reward yourself on that. And, and, that's enough. Again, like we are not going for perfection. If you can't get, get out and do 30 minutes to an hour a day, a lot of people can't. That's fine. Just these, the little, little things and the intentionality of doing these little daily things that are going to be helpful and make it a habit because that's the other thing. Like willpower only gets you so far. Willpower it really doesn't get you that far actually. But when you kind of start instilling these little habits, then you don't need the willpower because it becomes a habit. So kind of keep that locked away in there because that's another little nugget that kind of helps people um, stick to a daily habit or come up with a simple daily habit like that. So I have probably for 20 years now done 25 squats before I get in the shower every morning. And it's, it's like it, the days that I don't do it, it's almost like so weird because it's just something that I do. And my dad did that his entire life. So I just picked it up and I was like, I'm going to do that. But you're, I love what you said because you do it in the morning and it's a small win and more than likely it's going to make you want to do something else because you felt good after you did it. So I, I love that. I think that's, I love that it becomes a habit. And I think for our property managers, they have to walk property anyway, many times. So they can even sneak it into their day when they're going and, you know, checking for what's going on at the community, make that a part of your exercise. Yes. Like count it. Like just, it's okay. Just count it and be proud of yourself. Yes. And then too, I think people underestimate like the results you can have from just doing like squats every morning. Like you will get definition in your thigh. Like it really I think people think we have to do like so much to work out to like see any change. And like, you really don't like if you yeah. want to do 10 pushups every single day, like you'll see something in like a week. I think. <laughs> yeah. That's a great challenge. I love it. I think everybody should pick their thing and try it for a week. See how they feel. Yeah. And change it up every week or however frequently you want, change it up, find something you like and, and do it. Um, sleep is essential. And I'll say like, when I ask myself, a lot of times when I'm stressed, Usually when I'm stressed, I'm frustrated. That's like my primary feeling. It's like frustration, irritability, you know. And I, if I ask myself, am I tired? Like 98% of the time, I'm more stressed when I'm tired. Like it's just, it's usually like the culprit, you know. And so then it's like, okay, why didn't I sleep well? Well, did I drink an extra too many, too many glasses of wine? Did I uh, go to bed too late? Because now it's like I've got to go to bed by like 10.30, you know, before I could stay up later, but knowing yourself yeah. and knowing what your body responds to and making those adaptations as necessary um, is going to really 
help. But sleep is so essential, and sleep also, you know, our circadian rhythm is really controls a lot of different processes in the body, including like our cortisol level and cortisol secretion, and that is so closely tied with stress and the repercussions of stress. So all of these things are so connected that it's so crucial that you're getting enough sleep. Um, and even if you need to take, you know, something to help you sleep that doesn't cause you to be groggy, of course, the next morning, um, that's okay. Do it. As we get older, our, our, our melatonin um, production decreases. So, like, a lot of times people, uh, middle age, you know, 20s or something, like, it's not that you want them, we don't want them to be on melatonin long-term necessarily because it is going to mess up kind of their own production of melatonin, but sometimes doing like a two-week stint of melatonin will be helpful and then kind of it'll help regulate their, their circadian rhythm again. But older people, you know, people 50 and older, the melatonin really is decreasing. So they might need to be on like a melatonin supplement, you know, for the rest of their life because they're just never going to like produce it like they were when they were young. So sometimes knowing that and not, you know, feeling again, shameful or, you know, some stigma, oh, I can't sleep or whatever. No, it's like, this is actually biochemical, hormonal stuff is going on and we just need to like take charge and figure it out, you know? And, and, and do you have like, a, do you have a sleep aid that you like that you like to prescribe to people? I do. I carry a line of supplements by a psychiatrist. So it's a psychiatrist formulated. So it's primarily for, you know, insomnia, focus, mood, energy, um, mood swings, uh, ADD and attention uh, support and that kind of thing. Um, but it, the sleep supplement, I don't want to jinx it. But <laughs> I'm going to say that everybody that has bought it and tried it, are they're like, oh, my gosh, this stuff works. And it works better than prescription Ambien and their Benzo or, you know, whatever else they did. They're like, this stuff works. And I think it's because, again, it's targeting, like, the molecular stuff that's really out of whack when it comes to um, – what's causing the problem, right? The insomnia. That being said, everything is cyclical. So if, if you're stressed all day, that's going to contribute to probably poor sleep at night. So managing your stress is going to help with um, your sleep and vice versa. So again, it's really coordinating all these things, which again, sounds like complicated, but it's not, it's, it's very simple strategies. They're not always easy, but they're simple. And I, take heart in that because they're doable, you know? Um, and again, when we bringing in the acceptance and the adaptation, it's like, okay, well, you really can't argue that, you know, like well, there's still I, something to do. It, I, what I love about all the things that we've talked about, it's really getting back to basics. And even the way that we teach marketing, we're always like, let's get back to the basics. Then you can layer on extra stuff when you master the basics. But I think what's happened with a lot of people, and I'm sure you see this all the time is, we feel we can neglect the basics and add on the just the supplement or the pill or whatever. And all this stuff is just kind of festering underneath. It'll come out at some point. And I think that's what people are experiencing. So those the aids are exactly what you said. It's an aid to help, you know, replenish, but it's not a replacement for doing all the other things that you shared. Right, right. Okay. I love it. The last basic. Yeah. Diet is the one, too, where, you know, I think we all know what we need to do. And, again, there are all these molecular changes that happen from the food we eat. It literally nourishes our brain and body. It goes into our cells. Certain nutrients are absorbed, and we need them for proper functioning. We need them. And so, you know, I, as opposed to saying, oh, take away, you know, all these things, you know, 
I'll start with adding more vegetables, more of the rainbow of fresh produce and fruits in your diet, period. Like, and it could be as simple as that. Go to the produce section and pick the rainbow and just add it in that week. And it, this, this does not need to be complicated. But there's so many phytonutrients um, and um, just different compounds in the vegetables and the fruits that are food is medicine. Food is medicine, food is medicine, food is medicine, period. <laughs> so, like, just, and you can do, you know, the beautiful thing about the internet, too, is all of this information is at the, at the touch of your fingertips, right? And so, like, just look it up, look it up and, and find what, you know, are the, Google the healthiest vegetables, top 10 fruits, whatever, have fun with it. And, like, and then just, just go get them and add them to your diet. I do, I mean, I think that the processed foods, when it comes to like, okay, you, got, you do got to take some stuff away. And the biggest thing is the processed foods, you know, the, the refined carbohydrates and the sugar. I mean, sugar is like, and I love sugar. Ice cream is my favorite food in the entire world. I will tell you. Really? And have an ice cream. What I like butter pecan and I like vanilla, <sighs> just plain vanilla. What is your favorite? I like butter pecan and I like, um, um, the praline? No. Yes. <laughs> so we like the really sugary stuff, don't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we do. And because it's so dang good, and that's what they want us to, you know, know. You know, the FDA, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in the background of all the food companies. And they, I mean, they do like testing on the food to see like how they can make people addicted to it. They literally do. They have these chemical engineers come in and put certain things in the food to like make us eat them and but they're not good for us but i will say the more you eliminate sugar from like the more you're eliminating sugar from the diet the cravings for sugar will go away it's like a, it's like feeding the dragon you know like when you just remove it it goes away but you start eating the sugar again and it's like oh i just need more sugar so okay, that for a second because we all love our glass of wine i think that that's a you know we, we like to maybe end the night with a glass of wine but I know it's okay in moderation, but can you talk a little bit about alcohol and how it affects maybe women and our hormones and things like that? Yes. I know. <laughs> Switch to tequila. <laughs> and sometimes, sometimes you do need to figure out what you best respond to. Um, but you also need the why to like not overindulge. You know what I mean? Like if you're going to get up the next day and you want to have a clear, sharp mind, it, it you got to figure out your whys to control like our vices, right? We all have them and whatever. It's fine. It's fun. No shaming unless, I mean, if you have an alcohol problem, again, I worked at the drug and alcohol rehab center. So, I mean, if there's a problem, there's a problem. But for those of us where there's not, um, or, you know, we're kind of have a sticky relationship with alcohol, need to pull back sometimes and just be really, again, intentional about it. Um, but, yes, alcohol, um, it, it really contributes to, well, obviously, poor energy, but, you know, it, and some people say, oh, it makes me sleep better. It makes me sleep better. And it's like, yeah, it does short term. But really, you're waking up like every night at 2 a.m. because it inhibits this molecule that releases melatonin and helps with the circadian rhythm. So. Okay, pause right there because I that is a legit thing because I used to drink wine, you know, pretty much a glass every night. And every night between 2 and 4 in the morning, I would wake up and I had my doctor share that with me. And I was like, you know what, this is not worth it. So I still enjoy the glass of wine here and there. But when I learned that it was it was the cause of that, because you think, oh, I'm falling asleep. I get so sleepy, but it wreaks yeah. havoc in a different way. Yeah, 
for sure. No, it's unfortunate. I know. <laughs> it's an unfortunate fact of life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we talked about food, exercise, sleep. Is there anything else? Um, fun is a big one. You know, okay. we'll just having fun is huge. It's one of the best and most fun ways to de-stress, obviously, getting a little adventure. I think getting in nature, there's something about nature that is just spiritual, I guess, in my opinion, yeah. and grounding. Um, I think that plants, and this goes into a lot of homeopathy, you know, that's out there, is just like plant essences and stuff that comes from plants is very is healing. And, you know, we get a lot of our pharmaceutical medicines are derived from plants too, but just being in, there's something about being in nature, being in the green that's um, just, it, it, it does, again, my, oh, I don't know the exact mo molecules involved, but I know I've read it and listened to it, that it does release certain chemicals in the body when you're in nature. It just does. It's fascinating how our bodies are so complex and amazing. Um, and then the other thing is, is practicing um, calming techniques. So meditation is huge. Meditation is it's not against. It's easy to do, but it's, or it's not easy, but it's simple, right? But um, and you can feel sometimes like, hey, I'm not doing anything. I'm just sitting here meditating. I could be doing 20 other things, but that's the whole goal of it is to keep your mind focused on the present, and it helps you uh, weather the storms when you're in more difficult situations. Your brain is literally wired to better weather those storms when you have practiced meditation. And just two weeks of meditation alone, it increases the white matter in the brain. It decreases the amygdala which is our fear center, um, and uh, it increases the volume of the hippocampus, learning, memory, emotion. So actual major brain changes in two weeks of doing meditation. So that's a phenomenal thing that to do. Incredible. And then the other... Huh? That's incredible. I mean, I think some people are definitely intimidated. So can, I mean, people can do different kinds, right? There's not a one-size-fits-all approach. No, and you can download different apps. There's Headspace, and there's a ton of apps. Headspace is one of the most common ones, and it kind of starts out with beginner's meditation, and it's like five minutes long, you know? Yeah. And so, and then I think being not too rigid with yourself, but just making it a priority to practice something doable, right? You don't want to set goals that you're not going to reach, but three times a week, right? Or once a week, whatever you can do, just to start practicing and familiarizing yourself with it would be great. I have like a, in the store, I have a product called the Muse headband, which is a meditation headband, and it actually it goes around the head, it tracks your um, brain waves, it's like an EEG, it, it, tra it uh, tracks your heart rate, um, and it tells you how calm you've been during your meditation session, how relaxed you were, how many times your brain redirected from being distracted back to the meditation. It's a really cool tool that like helps people stick to it. It's the only way I do it is using the muse because I'm like, okay, good. I got some feedback. I got to make the grade, right? Like, I got to perform. That's how, the type, <laughs> so, that's how us type A's <laughs> make sure that we're checking it off the right way. I love it. So I know people are going to ask, but I'll, I'll link to it. Yeah, link to it. And then the other simple thing that I, I like is, is deep breathing. I mean, just practicing calming breaths every day. And again, it's like one of those oh, deep breathing. What's that going to do? But like it has molecular changes and certain chemicals are released in the body. It decreases cortisol immediately. Um, so that's something that everybody can do and it's free. 
Um, and there are different types of deep breathing. Again, this is something, just be resourceful. You can look, I can tell you in five different ways, but you can also just look online. There's box breathing, there's inhale four, exhale six, there's circular breathing, there's all sorts of things. And, and it's, um, it's really an interesting tool. And man, I went to a retreat in Costa Rica a couple years ago and we did this breathing session for like an hour and it was like we were like high <laughs> like, like from the oxygen. It was like amazing what it does. I've got like my little necklace. This is like a, a deep breathing necklace that you just, it's a, it supports a 10 second exhale. And so, you know, just take a five second inhale, 10 second exhale. I do it six times in a row, morning, midday, and evening. Just six deep breaths just to practice calming and centering, and it works so well. And the other thing that it kind of goes along with the calming techniques is something called grounding. So when people are really just at their wits end and um, maybe even panic, panicked, right, They're having a panic attack, um, focusing on the five senses. So what you can see, what you can taste, what you can hear, what you can touch, what you can smell, um, just and that's just being ultra mindful in that moment plus deep breathing, that's going to bring you down to a very like grounded state. And that's going to work kind of really immediately for when you're like at a 10 or a hundred or whatever. Well, it just shows how beautifully made we were our body. You know, we were created and designed to be able to take care and adapt to the things that we need to. And I just love that you brought these back to the fore to remind us like these tools are, we, we all, almost everybody here has access to these things. It's not like, and most of them are free. So that's, that's incredible. Okay, I want to put you on the spot, Dr. Nadia for a second. Okay, so I've got a couple of more, more personalized questions. So I'm, I'm curious how you as you know, a mom, a working woman, how have things changed for you? Uh, you know, 2020 has been just one challenge, it seems after another, or just maybe uncertain times and just different circumstances. What, what things have changed for you? What practices are you implementing? And maybe what things are you leaving behind that just don't feel that important anymore? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of, a lot of things kind of changed randomly or by God, I believe. Um, you know, right before everything kind of happened, we moved from the city to the country at the end of last summer. So we've kind of been away from... I think a lot of the stuff that would be stressful, a lot of the to-dos that we had to do before, a lot of the stressors that we had financially living in the city, you know, and then moving out to the country. So um, it's been um, it's been a blessing. And again, I think that's part of, you know, mindset is like, okay, like I'm not, I can say, you know, well, here's the silver lining, you know, of, of the timing of everything for us. Right. Um, I, I, it's given me, you know, I'm able, I'm more in nature now. And so, and even when I lived in the city, I would go to um, parks and that kind of thing to go on a walk, but not as frequently as I am now. Cause I walk down our dirt road and it's like trees overhead and the cows over here and the rabbits there. And, you know, it's just like so easy to get into nature yeah. now. And that's been a blessing. Um, uh, as far as work, you know, we made some changes. Like I said, I just I resigned from the uh, rehab and, and started a practice here. I think having something novel and fun, like setting up this new practice and boutique has been a blessing. It's been fun to find products to have here and things to help people. And it's been just a lot 
I've had more fun even just helping people like in this regard, in this aspect of people just walking in and just us talking and they're not paying for services. They're, they're paying for products that they can walk out with and have, have tangible tools with. So the whole setting up the business has been like just a blessing during this stressful time and something to do to get out of the house, right? Like yeah. I can go up to my office and <laughs> set it up and yeah. I'm not around anybody. So I'm socially distanced and it worked out. Um, my husband is extremely helpful, which is, you know, I got to give him kudos for that. But there are times where, again, being assertive and speaking up, if I'm like, hey, like, I need to go for my walk. I was like, I need to go for a walk every single day. <laughs> and I just need some help with that, you know. So that's been a blessing of having a husband and then having a husband who totally okay. shares stuff with the kids. Yes. Um, but, you know, sometimes you got to speak up and that's where that assertiveness comes in and expressing your feelings and just kind of saying, look, I need this for me. It's going to make me a better person. So, like, get to it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and then I do things like I, I, I like some of the tools that I have I use. So, like, my gratitude journal, I journal three things I'm grateful for every night. And I've done it since I brought the journal home. Once I got it in inventory, I was like, oh, this is my favorite thing. So I've been doing the gratitude journal, and I love it. I do it at the end of the day. I've done before people say, like, do gratitude first thing when you wake up. And I don't really like that because I'm like, I just woke up. I don't know yet. You know, I'm grateful I have my breath and my kids and my husband, the same thing. I like the end of the day, too, because I feel it's fresh in mind. Yeah, and you're looking for things throughout the day to, like, be grateful for. Like, yeah. it's just, again, a more intentional thing. And then, like, I do my, my breathing necklace is helpful. Um, I take the sleep supplement when I need to because I do. I've noticed, you know, since having kids, I've got three three boys. Um, but since having the kids, and also at the age, you know, I'm, I'm 38 now, and just, you know, we're kind of pre-menopausal. Um, right? Shh. <laughs> Oh, I'm not 38. I'm 22, I mean. No. Uh, no, but it matters because, like, a lot of the underlying yeah. stuff you is hormonally related. Like, I know now, like, I do get some PMS symptoms, and I know, like, what foods to eat to kind of, like, lower the imbalance between estrogen and progesterone. There are certain, like, I know not to plan, like, certain events the week before my period because I'm going to feel like crap. So sometimes just knowing, and, and that's where journaling comes in now, too, is, like, for your menstrual cycle because, no, like, sometimes our moods are just going to change based on our hormones and our stress levels are going to change. And sometimes my mind is, like, for, like, four days in a row, you know, in the middle of my cycle, and it's a pattern. So now I know what it is. And I'm like, yeah, this is what it is. And I don't like read into it too much or, you know, I don't like stress about it. Right. So, cause I kind of know what it is. I wish it, if I could say anything to somebody in their twenties, it's like start tracking your cycle and how you feel because I'm so sad that I didn't start doing that until way later, but it's like you said, every, every part of the cycle serves a purpose. So it's meant to, you know, to, give us different times. And if we learned how to work within it, it would be so different. So I love that you yeah. mentioned that. Yeah. There's this really cool book for people. It's called in the flow. I don't know. Oh, I can't, I don't know who they are. I, in the flow, but it, she talks about the different phases of our menstrual cycle and like, and it's very like, I mean, you can't like do it word for word. It gets too stressful, but she's right. like, Oh, this week, you know, plan activities with friends. And this week is your best week to, you know, tie up loose ends at the office. And then, you know, it, it gives you a little bit of pointers to like, um, or a lot of pointers, which you can't do all. And she gives like diet recommendations for each phase of the cycle, like eating more warm meals toward the, 
the phase where you're going into the, into the cycle, into the period, and then colder, fresh foods and raw vegetables at the beginning of the phase. So anyway, it's really interesting. But I was like, oh, I need a real beanie. Can you see that I have that I have the app up? Hold on. Yes! Oh my gosh, we are like. <laughs> but I, I, that's why when you brought it up, I was like, oh yes, we'll have to do, we'll have to talk about that a whole nother time because that, that was so life changing. I think it's such a good thing to do. Well, I have absolutely, I guess if I was doing my gratitude, I would be so grateful for this conversation today. This was so much fun. I just want to say thank you so much. Now, I know people are going to be like, okay, what if I need to dig in? What I want to know more about Dr. Nadia, how I can, you know, see what she does, work with her. How can people connect with you? Yeah, so my website is retreatbrainhealth.com. That's and I've got my product shop and everything is on there. And then people, if people need appointments or people, you know, people need medication management and that kind of thing and need psychiatric services, they can book online if somebody needs to, to meet with me. Um, but then you can also just, you know, get products that are going to be helpful tools for them to feel empowered and take charge of their stress levels. Um, I'm on, um, I've got a Facebook page, Retreat Psychiatry. And then I'm also on Instagram, it's at Retreat Brain Boutique. So okay. that, those are my places. Where and I'm at. I will link to every single one of those because I want people to be able to connect with you. Is there anything else that we should know? I feel like you have literally given us like the biggest playbook that we can take and run with. Uh, I mean, I think again, it comes back to your why. I think people need to explore their why. I think that awareness and intentionality are key and don't underestimate them. Like don't underestimate intentionality. Like every day, every hour <laughs> I need to like set an intention which I'm not like oh, I'm setting the intention of you know this or that but just kind of keeping it on your mind and keeping it like that this is going to be a priority for me is is key because it's so easy to lose that you know and just get lost in the flow of the day so um and just consider like are you in enough pain where you're ready to make the change like once you hit that pain threshold like time to take control and again it's not I think a lot of things will sound overwhelming and like a lot, you know, at once, but it's really not like it's really small changes every day and new habits that are like the answer. Like it's, it's, it can be so simple if, if you just make it simple and keep it simple and stay positive in your mind. Like just, just move. Yeah. Well, and I think then 2020 for everybody that's saying it's been such an awful year, it doesn't have to be. I mean, this can be the year that you say, I'm going to focus on some of these things. And then when circumstances on the outside change, man, the inside is ready to take those changes on, but the way that you want to take them on, not the way that we were going at a thousand miles an hour without kind of having any control of what we were doing, saying yes to everything. I think this is, like you said, it's the reset time. Mm -hmm. Totally. And every day can be reset. It's like, ah, oh, so <laughs> awesome. And some days you're just going to have bad days and you need it to be bedtime and you need to go to bed and then you need to reset the next day. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, don't, don't think too hard about it when you're in the struggle sometimes. It's like, okay, well, this day, like, this is just, this needs to be done. <laughs> Shut right. it off. This day is done. Okay. You and I could probably talk for hours and I can't wait till we either get together for ice cream or tequila or both, but... 
I hope, <laughs> I hope we can do this again. And I just want to say thank you so much for being on. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so much fun and so glad to reconnect with you. Okay, we did it.